Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And here is episode 149, number 149. And again, if you have any questions or comments, you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. kbmakel at aol.com. Or you can uh, definitely uh, leave them on the comments section of Podbean, and I will send you an answer, and I will answer it in the next podcast. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going around. Um, Obviously, the thing that's been in the news is is really only a symptom of what's going on. We have to face the fact. We have to face the ugly, cruel, horrible fact that we now live in a banana republic. And Joe Biden is the top banana. Now, I don't actually think he's controlling anything. I think he's a senilic old man who doesn't know what he's doing. But... The top banana has weaponized every aspect of the Department of Justice, and he's preparing to weaponize the IRS. If you think that this hiring 80,000 agents is just to go after rich people, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. They're coming after you, me, and everybody else that scratches out a living, and if they can get another several thousand dollars out of us, and going through an audit like that is always unpleasant. I mean, they this is the police state cracking down. And, you know, speaking of crack, uh, there's nobody's looking into anything Hunter Biden is doing. The crack king of America, Hunter Biden. Uh, nobody's looking at, at the crack king. Nobody's looking at the influence peddling, nothing of that. Instead, they go to a place called Miralago, where Donald Trump had, first of all, there's a there's a Presidential Records Act which forces every ex-president to start a library. Frankly, I've been to a couple of presidential libraries and, and they ain't that good. I mean, they just, they, you know, they got a few relics and I suppose they have, what they really have are just these massive archives of, you know, all the stuff that's, that's there that, you know, some nerdy historians can, can uh, paw through. But the rest of us, it's it's pretty irrelevant. So uh, they but they have to do this, and of course you know they they have to keep boxes of this crap, and then they wind up donating it to there. Well, apparently there were some classified documents, and I say that in air quotes because the ultimate classification authority in the United States and declassification authority, more importantly, is the president. So he can say, and he has said. I would take these to the residents to study at night and I would declassify them before I did so. So all these papers were effectively declassified. It's just another uh, just another in the Banana Republic attacks on Trump, which started in 2015, went through fake impeachments, fake dossiers, fake investigations, uh, fake all this stuff. And, you know, they ignore the Antifa riots and uprisings in major cities, but they focus in on the peaceful pro... It was peaceful until a a Washington Capitol policeman murdered a woman. It was peaceful until then. Um, And they focus on that. And, And very fortunately, the Cabbage Patch Congresswoman 
Liz Cheney, gee, she lost by 40 points. And she thinks that she's another Lincoln or another Grant. Well, she's actually another Pee Wee Herman is what she is. And she's a dirtbag. She's a rich, spoiled brat who took orders, who was stupid enough to take orders from the Uniparty, the establishment that is trying to consolidate its control over Washington, D.C. after losing it in 2016. They're trying to reestablish control, and they ordered her to do something that has killed her career, and, and she's done. I mean, she is so completely done. Um, and, and in fact, good riddance to all the Cheneys. They, you know, her, her father, the big defense expert, of course, he never put a uniform on, but he touted himself in Congress as a defense expert. And when he wasn't in Congress, he was raking in millions, millions of dollars from defense contractors. So that's what he's an expert in, is harvesting money out of the government. That's what he's an expert at. He's not an expert in anything else. And when you put that together with the the rigged election, and oh, by the way, just as a humorous thing, somehow when I set up this podcast, you know, they have this board where you toggle the other podcast deliverers. And this was before any of this became an issue, well before that. Uh, I must have toggled the YouTube button. I cannot find my podcast on YouTube, but apparently it's there somewhere. Because I got this to my Google email. I got this, your podcast, and it was like 147, has been removed because it violated our community standards. And, you know, we don't, some, some wording about, you know, fraudulent stolen election claims or whatever. Well, here's what I tell you, puke. You puke can fuck off. They are pigs. They are propagandists. And I don't make my podcast to satisfy anything on YouTube. And you puke, you know, and, and think about all the gun creators that do, that, that basically have, have knuckled under to YouTube. You puke. And, you know, hey, we need another one. There's another one out there called Juicy that I haven't actually even checked out yet. But, you know, you, you puke wants to be another Netflix. And, and they're never going to be because, you know, they started in a completely different market doing something completely different. It's like, uh, you know, Caterpillar deciding it wants to design a super sports car or something. There's something totally different where somebody could make a video, post it, monetize it, and if enough people watched it, they'd get a small check. Uh, YouTube would sell the advertising and you know people like you and I who need to know how to fix a doorknob an antique doorknob or why is my toilet always running or or some other nonsense we could go there and and, and kind of watch a little video on that some are helpful some are not some are well done most of them are not but that's what YouTube is then it kind of became this place where you could do firearms content you know and and most of the firearms content is lousy. Even the big guys, you know, I mean, Hickok 45, give me a freaking break. You know, most of it is lousy. Um, 
but these guys are hanging on to YouTube like it's a just like it's the last lifeboat leaving the Titanic and my whole deal is hey it's it's basically once the gun content goes I'll have almost no use for YouTube almost none uh, they've they've so much and, and all of this social media big tech stuff they're so busy trying to censor everything that um, you know its value is just decreasing look at look at musk he he uh he bailed on twitter when he found out that it was fake that most of the accounts on there are a bunch of bots that are created by a computer so he got a bunch of these fake accounts talking to each other once he figured out it was fake he wasn't going to pay 40 billion dollars for some fake tech piece of garbage like that and you know youtube you puke you puke is the same way but they you know, hey, take every one of my podcasts off. I don't want them on you puke anyway. So this is unvarnished, man. This is this is not designed to uh, um, basically kowtow and, and knuckle under to the pukes at you puke. Uh, getting back, though, circling back, I, I mean, you know, go watch a an episode of the old FBI TV show from the 60s and you wouldn't reckon you would think it was talking about something completely different than what we have today uh, what we have today is a capricious reckless uh, treasonous organization that serves its democratic political masters I mean all they are is Antifa in you know FBI uniforms Instead of just being dirty, smelly, hippie types like Antifa is, uh, these guys are wearing body armor with FBI on the front. Because when you're a political thug army, when you're a thug, uh, it doesn't matter. That's what you are, and it doesn't matter what you're wearing or what you look like. Whether you think you have the legitimacy of the state behind you or not. And what they're doing is thuggery and... You know, we're at the point where it's so irretrievably corrupt that I think within five years you will see the FBI just has to go away and then there'll be something else. They're going to have to rebuild that from the bottom. Um, the Defense Department is probably, at least the hierarchy, is the same way. That's going to have to be... That's going to have to be uh, rebuilt. I mean, you look at this guy, Millie. What a creep. What a what a fascist left wing creep is now masquerading as a four four star general, and his boss, the Secretary of the Defense, is even worse. All he's worried about is he be's worried about extremism. Well, guess what? He had a whole country full of them in Afghanistan that he could have gone after, and he didn't. And those are the worst extremists on the planet. Just ask uh, Salman Rushdie ask him about that but it is it is heartwarming to see the fat little Cheney girl the fat little spoiled brat have to pack her bags and leave Washington and go to where she actually lives I don't actually believe she uh, lives in Wyoming I believe she probably lives in Vermont or some other weird place Delaware she probably lives in Delaware but uh, she'll, I, I guarantee she'll never go back to Wyoming. And uh, I don't think they want her back. She lost by 40 points. 
That is unheard of. That is completely unheard of. And it shows you, you know, she was not following the will of her, constitu her constituents. It was following orders of the Uniparty. I don't know if it's Skull and Bones or the Illuminati or or who's in control of that. And it's actually none of those. It's just it's just a money cabal. It's just what who's ever feeding the money machine. But the money machine decided that she was gonna, you know, pop on to that goofy January sixth nonsense. And she committed political suicide. But if she's stupid stupid enough to do that, we don't need her in the government anyway. We don't need someone that dumb. And she is dumb. We don't need these people who, who turn their back on the 2020 election saying, oh, no, it was completely fair. Completely fair. You know, I mean, you cannot trust voting machines. You cannot trust the elect electric counters that count the uh, paper ballots. You can't trust duffel bags and boxes of ballots which just show up and all of a sudden are getting counted. Can't trust that anymore. Can't trust that system. Um, when we don't have that, we don't have anything. And we don't have, we don't have our national character. I mean, we fought two world wars against this kind of corruption this these kind of governments the kind of government that targets its citizens as political enemies and incarcerates them on bullshit charges and does all this other kind of stuff meanwhile the ruling class i.e. hunter crack king biden the crack king can do whatever he wants and you know we've been we've been sliding that way for a while. The the other, remember that boozer Teddy Kennedy that that degenerate even got away with murder. He left that woman in a car to die, and he never suffered a consequence. Oh, it's just an accident, and she wasn't that important anyway. She was only a human being. And speaking of human beings, you know they're they're still they're still furious about losing the right that was never in the Constitution to an abortion. I mean, you know, and they use the most... Here's, here's the one argument they use that is the most vile and just nonsensical. And they go, well, you know, it's, it's about viability. Without the mother, it's... The fetus is not viable, and therefore she has the right to terminate the pregnancy. Okay, well, first of all, fetus is, should never be used. It should be baby. Um, and the fact of the matter is, even after a baby's born, it's not viable. Have you ever seen a baby that was born that, you know, just kind of <laughs> puts a diaper on itself, you know, gathers up some belongings and says, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going to go gather some food and eat. No. Children, babies that grow into children aren't viable until they're, 18 20 years old our society says 18 our society says it takes 18 years to do that and we certainly wouldn't condone killing you know five and six and seven year olds because well hey they're they're not viable and they depend on their mothers and you know after all it's their right to terminate we we would never we would never that, that would be ludicrous yet we do it before they're born we do it before they're born viability is a concept 
that you have to look at. It's not just can it can this baby breathe on its own. It's who takes care of the baby, who feeds it, who raises it, who teaches it right from wrong, good from evil. And there're not too many parents doing that these days. But who teaches the the, the baby how to survive and and how to grow up and and all that. And and the answer is well, it's dependent on its parents for that. Just like a baby in the womb is on it dependent on its parents. That's just my view. So these psychos that are going around screaming about abortion and a lot of them are women who are I'll tell you tell you a quick story. One of the cadre members when I was in ROTC, so this is going back, and this woman is now in her 70s. She was a, an army captain. Well, now she's running for office in North Carolina, and she's like one of the biggest pro-choice, pro-abortion people that's going. And it's like, she has no children of her own. And I look at her and I go, you know, you're 40, at least 40 years past childbearing. So why is this, why is this such a huge personal issue to you? And I can't understand it because it's not like other things that affect you your whole life. Once you're kind of past, you know, reproducing, then it becomes much more of a less personal deal but but they're psychos and they're all in they're all in on this and you watch you watch trouble's coming trouble big trouble is coming um you know i i tell people every day that i don't know that we can survive this this is worse at least with the vietnam war you know it was just that one issue but now we have issues and and the trend is red states are becoming redder and blue states are becoming bluer and you know i don't know that we can hold a national election that's going to be something other than the uh, match that ignites a powder keg we'll just kind of go from there well that's enough of that um the other the only other curious thing that's <laughs> happening in the news is the what would stoner do debacle and let me expand upon that a little bit we went over the kind of the basics last podcast but it isn't really about the rifles <clears throat> i don't really believe that stoner would actually have designed what they came up with which is really not very innovative it's it's taking all the lightweight components they could find that were available and slapping them together um and hopefully hoping the rifle functions which apparently it does uh where i object to is they they did tease it as it was going to go through military trials no military would want anything like that it just wouldn't you know just not durable enough and it's semi-automatic why would you if you're a military or police force why would you really want that police maybe a little bit but certainly not a military uh you can do essentially the same thing with a you know just get a flat top ar with a 16 inch lightweight barrel and uh you know you've, you've essentially got it right there have the four position stock which is better than that clunky buttstock 
receiver thing that they came up with, which has gotten them into all the trouble. Um, you know, but it's not about the rifle. What it's about is those guys push this without telling anybody they were investors in it. Okay? Um, is that illegal? No. Is it honest? No. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if they disclosed, hey, you know, we believe in this so much that we've actually invested in this company that's making them, if they'd said that up front, then, you know, you kind of realize that what they're, all the laudatory praise that they've been heaping on these things are, you know, self-serving. That they have a vested interest, a financial interest in making sure that as many of these get sold as possible. So they're advertising. They're not evaluating. They're not creating. They were advertising. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest, uh, glitch in this whole thing do I actually believe that uh, you know this is all about non-disclosure agreements and non-compete clauses and all that hey maybe maybe they were too stupid to figure all that out before they they went ahead and they're infringing on somebody else's rights I don't know the case all I've seen is the two whiny um, videos that each one of them has put out the Carsada put out one, and then uh, McCollum put out another one. You know where they're they're basically saying, "Hey, you know, we're we're just being abused," and that's the only one where at least McCollum disclosed that he was an investor. And it, the fact that they deposed Carsada tells me that he's heavily involved in the production. He's not just the idea man. So you know, there there it all is. Um, you know, it's a debacle. And, you know, and it's, they now <laughs> can put their pictures on the wall next to the, uh, what is it, H, who were the guys who put out, yeah, it was the, uh, the pistol, the, the Hudson pistol, they could put their pictures up next to the Hudson pistol guy, and the Hill and Mac guy who was going to, produce the STG 44 and some of these other things that they've kind of hyped over the years that people have swept under the rug and uh, you know this is not the first time people have used their position a, a position of trust of being somebody who is kind of an honest broker to to push something uh, Jeff Cooper did it with the brand 10 you know a gun that could have had a future but you know they're they're touting this as the ultimate self-defense weapon when it was larger than any service automatic that was out there I impossible in most places to carry concealed unless you're like in Minnesota or Alaska or someplace and you're wearing a big heavy coat um, you know and, and as it turned out the company was and this is a, a familiar refrain undercapitalized all of a sudden, the weapons start coming back with the usual glitches that first-run weapons sometimes exhibit, and they can never recover from that. They can never. The Hudson pistol couldn't recover from that, and I don't know if these any of these Stoner guns are are. They seem to be reliable. I mean, because it's not anything really new, they should be okay. But uh, you know, a lot of these. But certainly, the Bren Ten 
you know, they just they couldn't even get magazines for them. They they actually at one point shipped the pistol without a magazine, and you got a you got like an IOU saying, hey, you know, we owe you a magazine. Think how awesome that would be. Brand new pistol, you can't wait to fire it. You're down to a, a single shot because nobody can get a magazine, and nobody. I I bet there are pistols out there that never did get a magazine. So you know, it's 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 one of those things. Starting a venture like that really is a really is a uh, a daunting task, and the guys who did it the best because they were already well grounded in the field were you know Brownells. Now Brownells is part of this what would Stoner do deal, but boy did they get rooked into that. But their retro line of rifles, uh, several of the models they don't really make anymore. They they were never going to make them forever, and I told people that. I told you, if you see it and you want it, you better buy it because it's not going to be around forever. Same thing with the SIG P210 Target. It's not going to be around forever. And then all of a sudden, you'll be paying $3,000 for one on the secondary market. But the uh, the retro rifles, um, they're very well put together. Maybe even the best factory retro ARs that, that were ever made, including the original SP1s and everything else. Brownells were that good, um, but they were grounded in the firearms business. They had the capital; they could they could do this. They were taking on a product line, not creating a company based on a single design. So we'll see where this goes. Um, it it also goes back to something I've talked about with these in range TV and forgotten weapons guys. Those are guys who have a narrow brand, a narrow band of brilliance. I think Forgotten Weapons is brilliant because basically uh, you can look up, especially now that he's got a big, an extensive library of videos that are that are online, which he could lose if YouTube decides to nuke them, nuke all gun content. Um, if I were him, I'd be backing it up somewhere. Um, but you know you can look and you can kind of get the uh, at least a at least kind of an overview of, of a type of gun that you run across or one you see and that's that's nice that's very nice that's brilliant that was very very smart um, the other guy the two gun action matches were really a brilliant idea I think they've I think they've gotten stupid because like I was saying before guys my age. I, I, I am not throwing around a kettlebell, man. I've had too many injuries. You know, I actually was in the military, unlike Carsada. So I do have some wear and tear on the old bod that, that you know, a guy who works an IT job <laughs> doesn't have, you know. So, you know, if he wanted to make it a little more inclusive, he'd probably take some of the pointless athleticism out of it. Um, now, I realize going to have some. And, and it's not going to appeal to everybody, but I think they've gone way over, way overboard. But it's still a brilliant concept. Much better than 3-Gun. Much better than a lot of things that are out there. And when we did our, uh, our kind of our wild geese match based on the, the 1979 movie, or 1978 movie, I guess, um, we, we kind of used some of the precepts of the 2-Gun action challenge match. But of course, we did it with three guns because we used carbines that would simulate submachine guns because we wanted to kind of follow the things that were in the movie. So we did 
pistol, rifle, and carbine. And you know what? That worked out really well. Now, we, we did not do the lane-type training that they did. We, we still did kind of some square-range stuff. But that's... And, and there are reasons for that. But the uh, two-gun two match, especially when you can wear some equipment, accoutrements, and other things, that's a brilliant idea. And I give those guys credit for that. They get credit for that. They get credit for the uh, forgotten weapons... Uh, library of of gun knowledge that's out there um, they've they're brilliant but what they are not is so are soldiers they're not they were never in uniform and it's one thing to put on a bunch of surplus clothes and go out on the range for a day go back to your hotel eat a steak dinner sleep sleep all night and then get up put your clothes on go back out to another range I mean that is very different than military life that is different than the life of an infantryman. I can tell you that because I were one. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, they, they are not experts on infantry combat. They are not experts on what the needs of an infantry weapon are. And, you know, to, to convey that kind of expertise or, or attribute it to them is, is just a mistake. They're, they're just not those guys. So... Uh, that's the other problem with the what would stoner do they 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 created a game gun that they think is some revolutionary you know answer to a lot of real world tactical problems and the fact of the matter is it's not okay well this is enough of this i want to get into questions and answers and i've got a really good question um this was somebody somebody saw one of the other saw some youtube content and decided to ask me this to get my take could the bar have been made into an individual weapon um, an individual high capacity assault rifle type weapon and um, my answer is yes because it's being done now i mean it's if you go to uh, Ohio Gunworks, you can buy their heavy counter assault rifle, which is a BAR based shoulder fired rifle, which takes uh, 30-06 in BAR magazines. And um, it's a BAR receiver that's had lightning cuts put on it. It's got a shorter barrel and an adjusted gas system, um, lighter weight uh, forearm and buttstock. And yes, you you could you could do that. Um, now they they have the advantage of CNC machining, and they have the advantage of modern materials to to accomplish this. But it's 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 done. It's it's done. Colt did it with the monitor. Now the problem with it is the reason this could never happen and would never happen back say after world war one um the first let's just go down the reasons um the bar was seen as a godsend and it was very capable it replaced the crappy chauche or shosho as they called it it's a uh, it was accurate reliable powerful okay but it was hard to field strip but it had the it had the things that an infantryman was looking for it was not necessarily lightweight. After World War One, of course, we had a glut of rifles. We had 1903s that were still in production and being cranked out. 
We had just procured 2,000,000 rifles. So we had plenty. For the post-war army, we had many more than we needed. So there was no real impetus to immediately start modifying the BAR to be a, an individual weapon. Uh, that plus they had some very promising uh, inventors who were working on advanced designs and that was Pedersen and Garand so there was no real there was no real impetus to, to do that the other thing was the average soldier in World War One was five seven and a half and weighed 140 pounds the average soldier in World War Two, due to a little bit better diet uh, was five foot eight and weighed 160 pounds but those are still pretty small guys I mean compared to what we're used to it I realize those are averages so you're gonna have some bigger and some smaller and and uh, you know that's the way that goes but um, when you're looking at that as the average uh, you have to be very careful and that's why they were very very strict on the weight for a new rifle because you couldn't weigh these guys down and it's not just the rifle weight when it comes to a BAR or an HCAR or a Colt monitor those magazines are heavy for what they are. For a 20-shot magazine, they're heavy. And if you've ever seen the web gear for a BAR, um, those are very, very challenging. You're not going to get preloaded magazines. So, you know, there was a whole ammunition magazine management piece that, that would have had to have been dealt with, which is why the Garand was so freaking brilliant. Most people, and you only hear it here, you don't hear it everywhere else, the brilliance of the Garand was its clip-fed mechanism that you had eight shots in a spring steel clip. The ammunition came packed in those, not always, but mostly. Um, and you just you put them in the gun, and when the last shot was fired, that thing got ejected and went away. And you just put a new one in. You didn't have to worry about saving the empties. A brilliant system. And the only way that you could really manage 30-06 effectively. Now, there were a couple other 30-06 semi-autos. FN-49 comes to, to mind. But a lot of those were fed with the old-fashioned stripper clips. You didn't necessarily carry a lot of magazines around with that. Kind of like the Soviet SVT. You know, it, it had a magazine. Or the Lee Enfield as in a bolt gun. You had a magazine, but you didn't carry spare magazines. That's not what you did. You charged the magazine with a what we call a stripper clip, and you know you you lose a lot of time with that. You know that's that's just not a lot of that's just you lose time with that. That's all I can say. You could not do that with a BAR because of the way the receiver's designed. So you had to have lots of magazines, and you had to have a way to carry them both loaded and unloaded so it was never going to be an individual weapon that's just the way it is um, very cool though I wish that and again I don't I don't know that I would buy one but it would be very cool if uh, you know Ohio ordinance would make a monitor I know they made a World War one version for a while very expensive eight nine thousand dollars but a monitor would be very very cool muzzle brake and the shorter barrel yeah very cool okay here is the next question how do you select a weapon for home defense 
Okay, I'm going to say, first of all, I don't select a weapon for home defense just like looking through a catalog, like, like most people do. They look and see a gun they like and say, I'm going to buy that for home defense. And they usually get, and that's usually based on a lot of bad advice they get from people who should know better but don't. So I will say, if you're going to select a weapon for home defense, the first thing you have to do is look at where you live and what your most likely and most dangerous threats are. Um, you know, if you live in an inner city and you might be concealed carrying and you're only really going to kind of buy one gun to do both, um, you know, that's going to that's gonna change what you're going to buy. So you're probably going to buy a handgun. It's probably going to be smaller than a service automatic and you know and and it'll serve you well in both roles it'll serve you well uh if you live out in a in the suburbs you you might and you don't really concealed carry uh you might want to go with a larger handgun that's a, maybe a little more manageable maybe something a little more powerful or you might want to go with a pistol caliber carbine you know, these are these are just some random choices. Or you might want to go with a shotgun. You know, you could you could use any of those three. If you live out in the country, uh, home defense can mean a lot of things from varmints, from predators, you know, wolves, coyotes, and all that. So the the gun that you might reach for the most might look very different than what a person in the city would have, because you're you're gonna shoot a coyote at three hundred yards. Um, keep him from raiding the chicken coop that's going to be a different gun than what you you know carry concealed in a city uh, same thing if you have uh, larger animals then you know if you do have to carry a handgun because of for whatever reason just that's what's going to be handy because you're not going to carry a rifle with you everywhere uh, you might might want to be looking at a larger 44 45 caliber handgun in whatever flavor that you really need you know there's there's all kinds of stuff if you have feral hogs you're going to have a different problem so whatever the problem set is uh, you have to select a weapon which is is going to do that plus you might want to look for some versatility say well i can use it for that but i can also use it for this too so uh where do you really come where you really come down to is the more complicated your situation you'll probably need more than one just as a you might need a pistol and a rifle or a pistol and a shotgun or maybe a shotgun and a rifle maybe the pistol doesn't factor in at all or if it does it's a 22 because um, of, of the type of varmints you have so that's the first place I go um, I would do as much research as you can, read read a lot, understanding though that you have to kind of understand who the author is and <laughs> what they're peddling, whether it's honest or not. And you know, when it comes to a handgun, sometimes you have to you have to make choices and the choice is who's gonna be using it and what's the largest, most effective handgun that the least experienced person can use effectively. Uh, ran across a young couple. Uh, the husband had a VP9 and an AR. Very good choices. Very, very good choices. Um, but his wife couldn't use either one. She had the most powerful thing she'd ever fired was a 380 because she's not a gun person. So, 
you have to be very you have to be careful so that means he either trains her up so she can use the vp9 or he gets her a 380 and hope that that's what she has her hands on if anything ever goes bad um you know again that is making the case for the 22 caliber rifle you know maybe maybe that is the best thing that that she could use you know you just have to look at it and you have to see okay next question please expand on why it is a good time to buy ammo um well it's a good time to buy ammo because we don't have a run on ammo the manufacturers seem to be stocking it you know you go into stores that were barren a year ago now seem to have reasonable stocks the online guys have got it and in fact you know when it comes to nine millimeter and five five six there's even deals out there for free shipping it's still expensive but it's out there now you can what i strongly suggest people do is you know buy a case here and there and it's expensive but buy it if you can't do that buy at least a couple of boxes every payday you know um everybody's tightening their belts because of biden inflation anyway so another 10 12 you know another 20 bucks isn't going to hurt you that's what it costs to go to mcdonald's so just don't go to mcdonald's and uh, buy yourself two boxes of ammo i just saw some 223 ammo 55 grain on sale for 9.99 a box and there's probably other deals out there maybe some that are even better but hey take 20 bucks buy 40 rounds next payday take 20 bucks buy 40 rounds three or four paydays down the road you'll have you know 160 180 200 200 rounds of ammo um, that will that will be a very nice thing to have uh, squirrel it away put it buy it buy a GI style ammo box you can even get those in Walmart for like 10 12 bucks and uh, squirrel it away and then you've got it and and it's there now is the time to be squirreling it away not panicking and paying fifty dollars a box remember what was it nine millimeter five five six was up to seven or eight hundred dollars a um a case remember that and then a little bit would come on the market as guys say hey you know i got a case of this i i'd rather have 800 bucks or 700 bucks or 600 bucks whatever the price was and they would sell it and then it would be gone um i would say that uh you know now is the time to squirrel some away and you can put away a thousand rounds it's it's going to be expensive but you can do it uh but hey a year from now could be a whole different ball game anything from more and better covid could hit us riots could hit us who knows what these 2020 midterms are going to look like and that's right around the corner man that's that's why you need to be buying this stuff now because if we get hit with a wave of could get hit with another perfect storm hey there's another pandemic and oh by the way you know a motorist in some inner city has been shot and now there's riots all over the country it could very well happen could very well happen could very well happen that people just don't like 
that the party on the outs is now going to be the party in control of say both houses of congress so there could be there could be stuff again and and we saw we saw that idiotic stuff last time uh, don't be caught without it just don't be caught without it if you have non-standard calibers i don't know what to tell you because some of that stuff is really hard to find uh it, it, it that case is you really need to make an investment and and you know ars are down low now too you know there's not only is ammo available but guns are available and i've even seen they're they're cheap magazines but there are nine and ten dollar magazines out there um hey are they the things delta force is going to use to go into syria after isis well probably not but it'll probably work well enough so that you can buy six to ten of those and you know have them and if you buy if you're willing to spend a little bit more you can get the magpul magazines but i would buy buy the uh the basic ar now and buy those magazines buy 10 of those you know 10 of those magazines cost you 140 150 bucks and you know buy a case of ammo you could get into all of that for around a thousand bucks you know just around a thousand bucks that's cheap security man ask rittenhouse <laughs> ask rittenhouse if that you know if a bolt action would have worked as well or nothing yeah is if bear spray would have worked as well i don't think so okay what gun innovations and accessories do you stay away from i stay away and i have to tell you this is i stay away from obviously bump stocks because even though they're not i don't know that there's a law that makes them illegal but somehow they're illegal somehow you can't have them so i stay away from those obviously i don't want one anyway but i would even if i really wanted one i would stay away from it i stay away from binary triggers um, I stay away from pistol braces and here's why because capriciously the ATF can make those things quote illegal at any time they will go to the people who manufacture them they will get their sales records and they may come after you okay that's one thing the other thing is they may put out alerts to law enforcement to look for all this stuff so you're out at a range minding your own business or out in the woods minding your own business somebody sees you and says man that looks like a pistol brace I think I'm going to measure it and check out and then you're in a world of hurt same thing with a binary trigger shooting awful fast that must be a binary trigger um, you know I, I would just stay away from those I would just stay away because even if you do the right thing you buy one they make it illegal and you destroy it you know that you might still have them knocking on your door and who really needs that so i i personally stay away from those things i i thought they were going to come after them and they are they i thought they were going to come after the 80 percent and they are they're going after those um you know it i have no problem with any of that i think the 80 percent received no big deal because I don't really think the crooks are going to build these things. They say they will. The gun controllers will say they will. But they're really not. Because I'm not sure that an 80% build, unless you really know what you're doing, is going to be as good as 
as anything else. So I say forget it. Uh, stay away from those. All right, next question. How do you justify not using a red dot optics optical sight on your pistol? Well, I, I, here's how I just justify it. Number one, they, they all take some form of batteries, and we all know what happens to batteries. Even when they swear on a stack of Bibles, this thing will last five or 6,000 hours. There'll be a time when I need it, and it won't be working because the batteries are dead, and it's, you know, you got to usually have to go through something, uh, disassembly procedure to change out the battery. The next thing is, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I have seen it both in person once or twice and it's even on video you know you go to <clears throat> go to any gun content you may see it somebody pulls out their pistol they bring it up on target and lo and behold they forgot to turn their red dot on that's why I don't use it uh, in competition people want to use it fine uh, for plinking or, or whatever else people want to use it fine but I will tell you that is a when it's something else to turn on when you're in a dire emergency that's just not something I want to mess with um, the other thing is it's it's a marksmanship aid okay a lot of times with your defense or, or pistol that you're gonna need in urgency that's very close range and uh, I don't know that you need that marksmanship aid Another reason I don't like it is, and there's no way around this, they make the pistol bigger, bulkier, and harder to holster. And by harder to holster, I mean procuring a holster that's got enough room in it so your gun fits with its sight. Uh, I realize there are some custom dudes out there and all the rest. And you can get custom leather or Kydex or whatever it is, but you know it's, it just doesn't seem to be worth it especially for something you're going to be that you may have to use under extreme stress I don't think that it's a um, a very good idea okay what is the best way to carry extra magazines for a fighting rifle or carbine um, you know it's I, I'm assuming this is not surreptitious uh, if you want to surreptitiously carry something, um, here's my here's my best way. Here's my best way. Go buy one of the photographer's vests for about fifty bucks. Um, buy it extra. Buy it extra large if you got to fit it over some kind of body armor. Realizing, of course, that you know there are some limits. But you buy one of those, and you know it doesn't scream gun. It doesn't scream tactical. And in the front pockets right in the space behind the front pockets um, you can put about four 30 round magazines and or of uh, 556 or you could put in you know pistol type magazines that you would put in a carbine understanding the ones that are really long like for a grease gun or a Thompson are, are going to be somewhat problematic you might have to go to another solution but um, anyway you can use those and you know you, you'll be okay you'll be okay you can carry stuff around um, if you're doing it just out, out in the open I would suggest that there's a lot of surplus um, kind of combat vests out there and there's even some you could get a molly plate carrier 
um, and and put on whatever kind of magazine pouches you want. You could get one of the surplus combat vests and put stuff on, you know, and, and do that. That's if you're doing it wide open. Everybody knows you got it because it, you know, it looks, it definitely looks tactical. So, uh, and those things range from anywhere up from 40 to as much as you want to pay. Um, the surplus ones are usually in the 40 to $60 range. And they're subject to availability, of course. So you got to kind of watch the sites. And you may wind up with some weird camo pattern. Or, yeah, check, check uh, uh, forest pattern or Polish BDU pattern or something. But, you know, you'll get something. You can, you can get something. Uh, do you, next question. Do you recommend steel targets or paper targets? Uh, I actually recommend both. Um, the thing I like about steel targets is that you get immediate feedback and they're just a lot less hassle. It's just a ring. You don't, you're not running up and back down range to see what you hit or squinting through a scope to look and see what, where you're at. So for, for a lot of practice, steel targets are great. Um, paper targets are really good because if you miss a steel target, there's a tendency to, well, I'll just hit it next time and kind of, you kind of gloss over the miss and you don't really think about it. But on paper, the miss is there, it's evident, and you can say, yeah, I, I remember pulling this off, I did this. You can better evaluate and remember what you did wrong. So combination of both. Um, but I do, I do enjoy steel, and reactive targets are the future of shooting. So we'll see how that all goes. But for a long time, people have liked steel. Going back to, you know, silhouette, steel silhouettes, you know, the... Uh, metallic silhouettes they call them those those things shapes of animals that the people would shoot at all right what is the best modification for a rifle and best modification for a pistol well that depends it depends what you're doing and we'll just say that it's a pistol that you might use for defense but you definitely want to be able to hit your target with not necessarily a target gun but um for a rifle, uh, unless for like an AR or an AR style kind of gun or even a pistol caliber carbine, uh, an optical sight is usually a worthwhile modification. Um, it's, it's an accessory, really an add-on, but I'll call it a modification. Um, you know, because it, it, it does simplify your sight picture. So I would say, and it, it that enhances your ability. The interface between your eyeball and the firearm uh, is simplified. So that's a really good modification to make. So I'll just leave that there. Other people, you know, they'll want bipods. And, you know, there's not really a lot of basic gun modifications you do. You might switch out some parts. But, you know, for like an AR rifle, that would be, that would be it. Just, and... Obviously, first thing people do when they buy a hunting rifle is buy a scope. You know, they don't, very few people buy a Remington 700 and say, man, I'm going to use these cool <laughs> iron sights that came with the gun. Very few people do that. Um, as a matter of fact, I would say probably no people do that. And a lot of guns don't even come with the iron sights anymore because they assume you're just going to scope it. So obviously an optic is the answer. For a pistol, it's a lot more complicated. I would say the most important interface between the shooter and a pistol is the trigger. So if you've got a smooth um, trigger that breaks consistently, that's probably what you're looking for. And most guns these days come with pretty decent triggers compared to, 
you know, the old days. Um, I think most guns come with pretty decent triggers. And I think a lot of that has been product liability. Uh, you don't get really light triggers, but you do get a good, they, they put money into the triggers so that you get a, a really a pretty good one. So I would say that, um, you know, making sure your gun has got a good trigger and you can go to a gunsmith and have them do a trigger job. You can get replacement triggers, but I would shoot the gun a while before I did that just to make sure that I've broken it in. Um, but I've seen very few guns with poor triggers. It's uh, just one of those things. Okay, well, that's it for this edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And, uh, you know, if, again, if you have any questions or comments, send them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. Or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>